You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate at support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hi, Stella. How's it going? I'm good. How are you, Sasha? I'm doing well. We have a guest here today, and I'm really excited to introduce Lauren. So Lauren, maybe you could tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and what we hope to discuss today. Hi, um, I'm so glad to be here. I'm Lauren. I am in my early 30s. I live uh, in a major city in the U.S., and I've had a very unique experience with gender Um, I haven't heard a lot of people who've had a similar story as me, and it's something that I think the listeners of the show um, could maybe benefit from hearing. It's really great to have you. Thank you so much. And uh, Lauren is a pseudonym, so this is not your real name, but hopefully we can uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your story. Maybe we can talk about how we met. Um, You first reached out to me. It was a couple years back. Is that right? Yeah. Over two years ago, I think. Yeah. So what got you interested? uh, I mean, I remember you contacted me and we ended up having several really interesting conversations, but what got you interested in this subject of gender identity? Mm -hmm. Well, I started identifying as gay when I was 14. So, and then I've been involved in the LGBT community my entire adult life. Um, Very active in LGBT groups in college and afterward. Um, And just a couple years ago, I started noticing a change, particularly in how um, teenagers who had identified as trans or maybe had dysphoria were dealing with the medical system. Like I knew a couple of teenagers who kind of all at once started identifying as trans or non-binary and then kind of got rushed through these medical interventions. And I was kind of confused. Um, I had never seen that before. And so I started researching this issue and I found you. Yeah. So at that point you were in your, you know, late twenties, maybe uh, early thirties, I suppose, late twenties. And I I suppose that might've been strikingly different from what you had seen when you were that age, when you were a teenager. Does that sound fair? Completely different. Yeah. And it was different than I had imagined any of this would play out. Like when I was, I don't think anybody when I was in college sort of imagined that the future of trans rights was kids and teenagers transitioning. I don't think that was sort of the vision. And so I, when I saw how quickly some of this stuff was happening and how few safeguards there seemed to be, the medical element was what really concerned me. Um, I wasn't, when I, when these kids close to me came out as trans or non-binary, I was kind of at first like, great, like you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're thinking about who you are. If they grow out of it, they grow out of it. Lots of kids identify as gay or bi and end up deciding later that they're not. And it's, it's no big deal. But once you start to introduce these medical interventions, the stakes get really high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was what seemed to be, that was what was really unsettling to me. And then I think I felt a little, I felt a little betrayed almost by the LGBT community for 
pushing this so hard when I started to find like the resources from HRC or other organizations. I, I kind of just couldn't believe what I was reading sometimes. Uh, it just didn't feel consistent with my own values or um, what I what I hope the LGBT community will be working on. And could I ask, what were you like as a child, like as a young kid? Mm-hmm. I was sort of your not a typical tomboy. I guess I was, I was athletic and I liked sports like a lot of tomboys are, but I was also just very quirky. Um, my dad was in the military. So I grew up on an air force base and we were, uh, we were Mormons. So came from a pretty conservative background and it was just my sister and me. My sister was like very much a tomboy, like definitely had gender dysphoria. What, what would be diagnosed now? Um, went by male names, wore boys clothes, very like definitely had dysphoria, male identity for sure. It now, now identifies as female and is married to a man, you know, life is very mm-hmm. complicated, but. And you're married to a woman and you and I married a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, was she older? Was she, she older? Was older. Mm-hmm. And were you the more girly version of her or was it? I would never describe myself as girly, but I was not so much of a tomboy that the adults were bothered. Like mm-hmm. I could be sort of redirected. Um, my sister was very much like, I'm a boy. This is who I am. Um, I was more like, I sometimes conceptualized myself as a boy, I think. Like I thought of myself as a boy, but I never like insisted on wearing only boys clothes um or like having a boy's name or that kind of thing i was more flexible i'd say and i was um i was very to answer your question of what i was like as a child i was very nerdy but like in a way that was like charming to adults i was like a charming child i always was like friends with adults um wanted to like have deep conversations with my teachers (laughs) Mm-hmm. Did I did I read that you were or hear that you were on the, you were on the gifted program the the program I'm so interested in from America? Yeah, I I was interested in your episode about giftedness because I was put into the the gifted program when I was like twelve or something. Um, I was uh, I had a really close relationship with my sixth grade teacher, and she wanted me to get tested, so I got tested and was in the the gifted program which was like it didn't really like mean a lot I don't think it's like there's not like a ton of programming or anything but I think she I feel like she was wanted me tested because more of like my quirky stuff like my quirkiness rather than necessarily just like how I was doing in school you Mm -hmm. know did you like it was it a benefit did it add flavor to your life or I was in like a, a gifted and talented class so my sixth grade class was all gifted and talented students, which I don't think they do anymore because, you know, it seems there's definitely some issues with that. But mm-hmm. um, I'm curious, do you mind if I ask, you know, you, you said your sister was like insisting that she was a boy and you come from mm-hmm. this conservative family. Mm-hmm. You said your parents could redirect you. So, of course, my question is, were they attempting to change your sister's uh, presentation or the way she was identifying? I mean, how did your family deal with your sister's gender Mm -hmm. exploration? 
there was a lot of conflict and tension around it. People did not, there was some anxiety among the adults that she would grow up to be gay, which I was not aware of at the time. People have told me that in hindsight, because I ended up being gay and everyone said it was supposed to be your sister who was gay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There, my mother especially really could not handle it. There was a, there was a lot of, there was a lot of tension, lots of anxiety, fighting. And so I think I picked up on that and subtly subconsciously was aware of the fact that there was a line that Mm -hmm. we weren't supposed to cross, but that wasn't, um, it wasn't hard for me to not cross that line. I kind of knew how to be myself without bothering people. My sister, my sister also like has some autistic traits, you know, a lot of people in my family do. So she didn't mm-hmm. know how to like pick up on the cues to like change her behavior as rapidly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've caught us up to like you, you were kind of tomboyish as a kid. You also had these quirks. You ended up getting tested as gifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was after your sixth grade teacher, you know, encouraged you to get tested. Mm-hmm. So let's pick it up from there. What happens next in the life of Lauren? <laughs> well, I was pretty well liked in school. I had a lot of friends. I was popular. I was also very nerdy so I liked math and I liked school I did very well in school my home life was hard for a lot of reasons and so school was a safe haven for me when I was 14 my parents read my diary and discovered that I liked girls and they had been so worried that my sister would be gay And then the kid they weren't worried about. (laughs) I know it's so bad. Ended up being gay and they were very upset. And so I sort of became the uh, identified child, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, the identified patient. And I was a really good kid. Like I really wanted to be good and moral and I was in this religious community. And so I really struggled with feeling like I was put in the position of being like a rebel. Oh, that hurt for me. Mm -hmm. Cause meanwhile, you're one of these kids that the adults all love. You are, you know, wanting to be liked and follow the rules Mm-hmm. And here you are being classified as the rebel. So I bet that spun you into a little interesting identity situation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spent a lot of my high school years trying to figure out how do I be gay and Mormon? Can a person be gay and Mormon? And I trying to balance those things. And I end up deciding that I end up picking being gay over being Mormon. But I can, felt like can you, can you be gay and Mormon? I don't know anything about Mormonism. Not really. I mean, they'll excommunicate you if you're like. Do you mind me asking how many how many years is between you and your sister? Uh, almost three. 
because I've seen that happen before in family dynamics and it's really hard when it happens that one kid is the good kid, the other kid is the complicated, difficult kid. And then there's a switch and it's like, no, right. <laughs> this is the good kid. You're the couple. And it really is a heavy burden. They were not ready for it at all, especially mm. my mom, because there was all this anxiety about my sister, but I think she felt like I was okay. But then, mm-hmm. you know, tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you go from being the reliable kid that they don't have to worry about mm-hmm. to the kid getting all of the family attention. Mm-hmm. And was there a lot of conflict here? I know you talked about your internal conflict of like having to choose between Mormonism and being gay. Mm-hmm. Was there a lot of outward conflict in the family at the time? There was, especially at first for the first year or so, but it honestly didn't totally get sorted out for five or six years. It wasn't until my parents met my wife and, you know, I think a lot of their, a lot of their anxieties were based in sort of classic homophobia. Like they were, Mm -hmm. they were sort of worried that I would end up around these like crazy people and live this awful life (laughs) if I was gay. The lifestyle, the gay lifestyle. Exactly. It was very, it wasn't, there wasn't like a much deeper philosophically there you know so once they met some of my friends and then met my wife they they calmed down a lot (laughs) well that's good to hear yeah but there was certainly tension when I was still living at home and that was very that really catalyzed me to I was very focused on going to college I was just like I was that was my my whole that was everything to me. It was like leaving home and going to school and starting my new life. Mm-hmm. So is that the, I guess, next important point of the story is like getting done with high school and leaving. Um, Cause I know your, your identity exploration took some really interesting turns mm-hmm. uh, later on. So let's, let's keep, let's keep going. So you're ready to go to college. That's mm-hmm. what you focus on. Mm-hmm. And I, I dated a little bit in high school Um, I dated actually some girls and some boys, which was very confusing to my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Poor parents. They, they did try. I I think they feel bad about some of this now, but, um, but I went to, I went to college and I had been very, I had sort of struggled with like the adjustment to being a young adult expected to date you know, be a sexual person. That was a difficult adjustment for me. Um, I had a hard, I I look back at photos of me and I was very pretty and boys always liked me. There weren't many gay girls at my school, but I always felt like, I think I was attractive, but I always felt uncomfortable in romantic situations. Um, And the same thing, the same pattern sort of continued when I went to college, I would meet girls and they would like me and I would like them, but things would sort of fall flat really fast because I was so awkward and uncomfortable with myself. And then at the end of my freshman year of college, there's an annual drag show at the university I attended. And so I borrowed some of my guy friends clothes and, you know, dressed in drag, but, and like went to the show, but I ended up feeling like I suddenly felt 
really comfortable. <laughs> wow. So up until then, you presented neither one. You were just a kind of fairly bog standard presentation. Is that right? Yeah, like a normal girl. Not the most feminine, but I wore light makeup and occasionally dresses and lots of like jeans and polo shirts. Okay, so then you put on the drag king. Yeah. And you went, whoa. Yeah, and I felt so confident and attractive. And suddenly I knew how to talk to girls. And I started dating my wife like a couple months after that. It happened really fast. Did you kind of almost maintain your drag king thing from that night or what happened? I just, yeah, I never went back. I was like, oh, this feels way better than what I was doing beforehand. (laughs) That's amazing. So it started out as kind of like putting on a costume, but it actually felt much more conducive to Mm -hmm. you living your life. It felt very natural. I felt, as I say, confident and comfortable with myself. Um. And yeah, I, I felt like I knew especially how to interact with girls I liked more. It felt easier to like be butch and to know what that meant for dating, like how I was supposed to stand, how I was supposed to flirt, you know, what, how I was supposed to like ask her to kiss me. Like, I just felt like that stuff got a lot easier. It gave you confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you could become the pursuer in a way that was qualitatively different from when you had a more traditional feminine persona? Like did taking on the, the, the butch masculine persona give you that ability to like go up to a girl and ask her out. And also for, for perhaps for her to know, Oh, this is a woman who's a lesbian who's asking me out. Like did it, mm-hmm. did it provide something there? Cause I'm just trying to imagine this shift. It seems like very quick. It's not like you experimented a little bit and tried to Mm -hmm. figure it out. Like you put on the clothes, you had the Mm -hmm. whole look, and then you felt confident. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there were a couple of things. One was that I felt more comfortable being a pursuer, like you said. I felt, yeah, I felt, I guess I felt like I was going to be read like I felt or like it felt more. I think when you're growing up, you see males and females right you see men and women interacting romantically and I think there's something that's challenging about building a model for dating in your head as you're growing up as a lesbian like you're not sure because you don't want to there's a lot I felt a lot of anxiety about making my straight friends uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Uh, I always wanted to be clear that like I'm not interested in you but I'm interested in these other women And so I found it hard to settle into how to be a friend to my friends, but also be romantic with people I want to be romantic with. And I think being butch somehow simplified that for me because I could sort of have, I I do feel like I had a little bit of like a male persona in my head and I could sort of live that out. I I could sort of live that out. And the other thing for me particularly, I think, is that I never liked women's clothing very much and I've wondered since you were you've been talking about giftedness and autism and all those things you know I just I feel like men's clothing is very simple it's the expectations are much lower and simpler 
everything you're wearing is like the belt matches the shoes and then you wear the pants and then you have this button down shirt. It's, it was very clear. So I felt more confident in knowing that I looked attractive. Mm. Um, women's clothing is there's the makeup and the jewelry and the things aren't even there's a, there's like an imbalance to things. I remember when my, my husband had, like we had a little girl first and he got a really funny reputation. He always put on her dresses backwards because the buttons were mm-hmm. in the It's complicated. He could never get it right. He always dressed her crazy. And we'd say like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, well, the buttons were in the I get that though, and I I just like men's clothing better. Yeah, yeah, it's fairly true, isn't it? Yeah, no, it was. I just felt I felt suddenly like it became a lot easier for me to be the person I wanted to be socially when I started when I started being Butch. I sort of did it overnight. I was like, I'm Butch, and it was great. What did your parents think of that? Oh, they were so upset about it. (laughs) I mean, I had already been disappointing them for years, but (laughs) they were very nervous about it. You know, they had been, especially when I dated a boy in high school, they were just really hopeful that I would grow out of being gay and I just kept not growing out of it and (laughs) grew into it. (laughs) You got a little extra gay. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't stop me or anything. I think they knew they couldn't, and I was an adult by that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Fair play to you. Did you go home? Like, did you go back? Like, voila, here I am, <laughs> drag queen. <laughs> yeah, I think I cut my hair oh, when I was home for the summer. I uh, that was when I did my initial buzz, and I started it with a mohawk. So I had a mohawk for like three or four days. Um, that certainly <laughs> upset my mom a little bit. <laughs> I saw photos and there was like lovely photos of you as a kid. And then there's a photo of you wearing a prom dress or something. Yeah. Can we, can we just talk about that? So, yeah. you know, Lauren has sent us these photos because she said, you know, I would like you guys to see with your own eyes, just kind of the evolution of my identity. So we have the first photo is, uh, you must have been uh, at, like at the Greece party. You must have been what, like seven? I was ten. Yeah. You were ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so all the other girls are dressed in poodle skirts from the movie Greece, and here you are wearing a Letterman jacket. Mm-hmm. I think you have kind of a punky Brewster look in this image. <laughs> well, I might have also had a homemade "I like Ike" button because I was very into the presidents. Okay. You know. <laughs> Like I said, I was a, a quirky child, but yeah, yes. I definitely liked the Letterman jacket look. I couldn't, I was like, no, no poodle skirts, not for me. I'm, I love your style. It's real. Yeah. Cool. American. So then, so then the next photo is presumably a prom of some sort and you're in this long lavender dress, very feminine dress with long hair. Mm-hmm. And then the next photo is of you and your wife. And you're standing outside of some really cool rustic cabin looking thing. And you have your hair buzzed Mm -hmm. and you're wearing um, a collared shirt and your wife is very lovely. She's embracing you kind of lost in the moment. And here you're clearly in your, your butch persona. Mm -hmm. 
And then we, we go on to the next photo. I don't want to spoil it. So we're going to keep going with your, your kind of timeline here. So the next photo is a really interesting twist. But you, you take on this butch look and you've just become much more confident talking to women and in your relationships and being able to be, as you said, the person that you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And you soon after met your wife, you said. Yeah. I had actually already known her and we had, we dated a little bit my freshman year, but it, it fell through because I was, she, she broke up with me. She was like, I think you're too young. But then I came back to school the next year and I had this like new look and new, new sense of confidence. And she got interested again. What? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was butch for like 10 years and I went to college, went to grad school, started my career, all that. We got married, just was living life. Um, we were in that period where the gay marriage laws were weird. So we got married like three times. <laughs> oh, okay. What sort of years are we from, let's say, 20 to 30? I suppose, let me think, it would have been 2010 to 20. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Then. Okay. So we got married in 2012. Okay. So that was before gay marriage was legal nationally. So we had some weird tax situations for a few years. It's it kind of funny, but I, it was really fun watching the gay rights movement sort of expand. And I was very like, I was, you could ask anybody I know, I was like Miss LGBT. I was very um, active in the community and, yeah, gay friends. It was very important to me. Were you an activist? Um, I, I don't really have an activist personality. I cool. have done my share of canvassing and door knocking, but I'm more of like an Obama liberal. I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opt- I'm not an activistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah, I don't know if that that makes sense, but. <laughs> So did you at this at any point, because you you said you were butch for about 10 years, was being butch a big part of your identity? Because I'm I'm aware that for at least doing the work that I do, of course, I've encountered a lot of women who are butch lesbians and being butch has become a really important part of their identity, especially in contrast to all the gender identity stuff. So we're going to get there. I'm not asking you to go there necessarily, but at the time, were you just kind of butch by happenstance? Or was this like a really central part of how you understood and defined yourself and like your peers and your friends and things like that? I think it was a pretty big part of how I thought of myself. I felt in community with other butch women. Like I felt a sense of camaraderie that was important to me. And I... I think a lot of historically, I think historically, at least, I think a lot of butch women have kind of conceptualized themselves as almost like a third gender. Mm. And I think I felt that way too. I always felt like I could talk about sports with the guys and sort of be one of the guys, or I could sort of like, you know, hang out with the girls and talk about gal stuff. But I think I, I think I being butch, kind of, it was its own, like, way of thinking about myself. Like, it, it was, like, a third gender in my mind. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And you also, I think, dabbled with identifying as trans at some point. Is that right? Yeah, I guess we missed that part of the story. So when I was so back up, I'm in college. I go to this drag show. I start, you know, dressing in men's clothing and being butch. And I feel like amazing about it. And I'm like, wow, this is so much more comfortable for me. And this is like right at the cusp of when gender identity and trans issues are starting to hit colleges, I'd say. Like 2010? uh, 2008. Okay. Okay. So pretty early, there's like the first couple of trans guys coming out at my college. And so there's a lot of attention being paid to these trans issues that are so new. And so I went to like a meeting of my college's LGBT group where we, I think uh, it's like my gender workbook or something. It was like one of the, maybe Kate Bornstein. We like went through that workbook and the way I interpreted what we were learning was that if you were kind of in the middle of the gender spectrum, you weren't all, all trucks and cars and you weren't all dolls and dresses. If you were somewhere in the middle, that meant you were trans. And so there were, there was kind of, I was introduced to this ideology that being gender non-normative in the way that I was meant that I was somewhere on the trans spectrum. People talked about that. That, that term was used a lot back then, the trans spectrum. And so I started wondering if I was trans. It was, I mean, sort of inevitable, I think, given the context I was in. But I like, you know, I really, I thought hard about it. I bought like a, a packy, you know, like the Packers. There was like sort of a process, right? Like I read, like, I was like, what do you do if you are wondering this about yourself? And I found like the websites that talked about like where you get a binder or whatever. So I kind of like, bought this stuff. I thought about what my name would be if I changed my name. I like talked to my wife about it and was like, would you still want to be with me? Like, you know, what would it look like if I transitioned? And I sort of, I was, I spent like close to a year, I think sort of pondering this. Um, But then I, I had a little bit of like a feminist awakening, I'd say. It was one day, it was like International Day of the Girl, and I was reading about child marriage. And I think, think, I think reading about that issue, reading about the global issue of young girls being married off, and I think I, I put myself in those girls' shoes. And I think something about that, that, that experience of thinking of myself as like a woman in a global perspective a historical perspective made me sort of back away from the, the trans identity and was like, no, I'm, I'm comfortable with being a woman. Wow. That's fascinating because you, you were already in a loving marriage as a woman, your wife met you as a woman. Yeah. We were still dating at that point, but yeah. Oh, okay. So you're, you're dating, but she loved you for who you are as you were. Mm-hmm. And you start exploring this identity and what stops you from going further is actually recognizing that women as a biological sex share this kind of common thread of potential um, exploitation, oppression, however you want to phrase it. And rather than making you think, 
okay, I definitely would rather be a trans guy. You thought, no, I'm, I'm a woman. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it, but that was definitely how I experienced it. And it was, it was kind of awkward because I had already come out to some people, (laughs) not like, not like on Facebook, like telling everybody, but you know, some of my trans friends I had already kind of come out to. And some of my other friends I had said, like, I'm thinking really seriously about this and that, but it was kind of uncomfortable to go back. (laughs) And so I just kind of dropped the subject and never talked about it ever again. And then later when I got pregnant, (laughs) which sorry, spoiler alert. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Could I just ask what your partner thought? So yeah, no, she fell in love with a butch lesbian who mm-hmm. then flirted really with with being trans mm-hmm. and was she totally like yeah whatever you like or packers whatever or where was she like she's you know this is this is honestly pretty common like a lot of the lesbian couples we know have one partner who has considered transitioning pretty seriously i mean this this stuff has hit the lesbian community very you know, very hard in the last few years. Um, I don't necessarily mean that to have a negative tone, but there, this is, I mean, this has really changed the way lesbians see themselves, like the extent of the trans movement. So I think my wife is just a very, she loves me. And I think she felt like if I did end up transitioning, it would be, it would be okay. And she would be able to, you know, I think she'd be, she felt like she'd be able to accept it, but she identifies as a lesbian. I think she's, she might, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to ask her about this. I don't know if she's happy. I didn't transition, but she certainly likes the way I look now, like more feminine. I think she thinks I'm, I'm pretty the way I am now. So you are. Thank you. I think you are pretty lovely in all your photos. I yeah. think you always look like a, a lovely approachable person. I feel like I have been very blessed to be. Um, I feel like I'm one of the few women I know who has never like hated how I've looked. Like when I was a, a kid or a teenager, I never felt like I was ugly or things like that. I was. It's funny you should say that because I was kind of getting the sense from you as you were describing, you know, being gay. And even though your parents were disapproving and stuff, there's 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 a feeling of you you were you're quite you were quite accepting of yourself all along, which is a joy to be, to behold. But maybe am I reading it right? No, I think you're right. I think I've I've always been. I mean, I certainly, I've certainly struggled, especially with the religious stuff. I have, I have sincerely struggled with like feeling like being gay is okay with God. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's been, that's been kind of the area of this struggle for me. And I've also, I mean, I've struggled a little bit with, especially when I was butch, like being a gay person in society and trying to make sure people felt comfortable with me and I felt a lot of pressure to sort of, um, to make people feel comfortable, right? Especially back in the day before. It was, it was a very different environment five or 10 years ago. But I've, I think I have, I'm, I've been blessed with like a good amount of confidence in myself. And I yeah. think, I think that's, that's really helped me because I've had kind of a weird path. Mm-hmm. So you never really 
to kind of touch on what you're saying about religion, you never asked yourself, how could I not be gay? You said, do I pick between being gay or being Mormon? And you you just kind of stuck by yourself, you know, like stuck by your own side, it sounds like. And that's really refreshing to hear because I think Mm. it can be very hard in certain contexts, especially in a family context in which it was explicitly made clear to you that they were initially, you know, not Mm. okay. So I just think that's really nice to hear. Hmm. Thank you. So then what's next? You, you, um, you and your wife, of course, get married. Mm-hmm. You kind of retreated silently from the trans conversation. Yeah. I just sort of stopped talking about it and people stopped asking and <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, so we were married for, I don't know, seven years or something. And we were getting into our late 20s, and the first couple of our friends started having kids. And so we sort of looked at each other, and we were like, what do you think? Like, are we are we going to be the kinds of people who become parents? We had been together for a long time, you know? So we were, and obviously, as a same-sex couple, you don't have to worry about birth control. Like, there's never any pregnancy scares. So it was really, really our call. And we decided we did want to have a kid. And my wife was the first candidate because she is the femme one. And it just sort of seemed like it just seemed obvious, you know, um, that she would be, she would carry our baby, but you know, she, um, she had some fertility issues. And so we were in a situation where, I was suddenly, and I started tracking my fertility and realized I would probably be able to get pregnant pretty easily. And so I was in a situation where I was like, I really want a baby. Could I do, could I get pregnant like me? Like I butch look me. like a man, butch me, right? Like, what are people going to think? Am I going to look weird? Right. All those, all those thoughts. And then I'd never thought of myself. Cause I sort of, as I say, like I had this third gender identity, yeah. right. But I really wanted to get pregnant. And so I wanted to have a baby. So I was like, yeah, I'll try this. And I ha- I can't tell you how many people when I told them I was pregnant said, what are you going to wear? <laughs> <laughs> I heard it over and over. Again. <laughs> it, which struck me as so strange because I was like, I'll just wear the maternity clothes. <laughs> What do you think I'm going to wear? <laughs> like you need to get a tuxedo, like tailored right. for having a belly or something. <laughs> right. And a lot of people, you know, very kind people with good intentions would say, you know, I heard of this company that's creating maternity clothes for butch women and maybe you can get those things. And I remember by that point in my life, I sudden, I sort of realized I didn't care very much. It was sort of funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'd been, I'd been butch and, it, it was a good thing for me. And I, I mean, my whole adult life, I had sort of looked this way and then when sort of presented with this situation where it would be very hard for me to continue looking the way I did, I realized it was kind of fine with me. <laughs> so, so this is interesting because sometimes I think, well, for some individuals being butch or being very masculine in demeanor is kind of a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. And I think for you, what you're describing is like, it just 
became not that big of a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. I think I had started some, a lot of my butch friends had started to transition at that point. And so I think I had already started grieving for the butch community and, and like butch identity as I had experienced it, if that makes sense. Like I felt like it was already ending that I would be able to be in this community of people who felt similar to me. And I think in some ways that made it easier for me to make that shift. There's something that feels very sad about that. It's kind of like just a relinquishing this, this part of lesbian culture that has existed for time immemorial pretty much. Yeah. That has been very hard for me. It has been, I mean, I, I feel like I've made my peace with it, but there were a couple of years there, 2014, 2015, when it was like, I went from having 10 or 15 butch friends to like 10 or 15 of them transitioned, you know, or at least started identifying as non-binary or got some kind of surgery, you know, like there's different versions of things people did. And Mm I, I wanted to be supportive um, because everybody's living their own life. And of course you don't want people to be living in ways that don't feel right for them. But I also felt like there wasn't a lot of space for like questions about how much of a change this was or for my own feelings of sadness about, I sort of felt like I had to just be happy for other people and not, not feel any sense of loss. Mm -hmm. It feels like you were reading the political climate with quite a lot of insight. Like you read that article about the the child brides and you went, Oh, Mm. and then you saw butch lesbians transitioning and you went, Oh, it sounds like you, you, you really have insight just naturally. Yeah. That you, you could see things were going on and there was, there was political issues underlying things. It sounds like that's where you, you, you had to. That's interesting. That's interesting. I felt, I think part of why it was so hard for me to see that this culture was changing was that I had sacrificed so much to be a part of it. You know, I was raised with the expectation that I would grow up to be a Mormon woman with a husband and kids and everything that went with it. And I felt like I had built my whole life around being a gay person in a gay community, right? Like a lesbian woman in a lesbian community. And then I felt like, I mean, it it was true. Like it just changed so quickly around me. Um, Yeah. And so I think, I think that left me with a lot of questions for a few years, but I think it also made the transition to like, being a pregnant mom easier because so much had changed already. And there's a gorgeous photo of you <laughs> as a butch pregnant mom. And it's just <laughs> yeah. gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was, I loved being pregnant. I was so lucky. I had a really good pregnancy and I thought it was so fun. And I, it went so much better than I thought it would. I had a great pregnancy, I had a great birth. My kid's wonderful. So how did how did this process of you know seeing all of your butch friends transitioning I wonder how that impacted you as someone who was at the time before you got pregnant still presenting pretty butch was was there a lot more people asking you questions about your pronouns or assuming that you were non-binary or trans like I'm wondering if if that was happening if that had anything to do with 
your decision to just like, I'm just going to let my hair grow out. I'm just going to not make, mm-hmm. you know, not make my presentation such a big deal. Can you talk a little bit about if, mm-hmm. if that was your experience? Yes, I think people did start asking my pronouns a little more in the last couple of years of me being butch. And then I also just started to feel a little anachronistic, to be honest. It, I'd started to feel like I was holding on to something that wasn't important to other people or wasn't, uh, yeah, it was anachronistic, wasn't the way people saw things anymore. But then um, something that was interesting for me was uh, the the bathroom bill era. So remember the first conversations around bathroom bills in North Carolina, there was, I remember there being a lot of conversation around trans people in bathrooms. And it was so funny because I had had problems in bathrooms for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, much woman, you know, I got a lot, I mean, I got harassed pretty often. Like it's not easy being a masculine woman. Um, sometimes people were just a little awkward, which is fine, but over and over again, that can be a little tiring, but sometimes people were hostile. And then I, you know, there was one time I was followed by somebody who was shouting slurs at me for like a few blocks. (gasps) Um, and I was just, it was like the middle of the day I was talking on the phone and this guy just like decided he didn't like the look of me. And he followed, he followed me for 15 minutes. It was scary. Oh, wow. That is terrifying. And there was another time my wife and I were walking down the street and someone yelled at us, fags and lesbians are better off dead. (laughs) Which is such a specific, horrible thing. Like, I was just like, where did that come from? So I think, but that's, I mean, that had been kind of part of my life for a long time. But I think as I got older, I don't know if I mentioned your question. Well, as I got older, that started to bother me more. And mm-hmm. especially once I realized I was going to be a parent and I was going to have this child, I, I really wanted to not, I wanted to protect my kid. I didn't want there to be any chance that my kid would be treated that way. Or like I would be treated that way around them. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's not, that's not like, the nicest story, but that was also appealing to me too, about when I realized that I felt okay, just in women's clothing, I was kind of like, well, maybe this is for the best. Well, cause when you were younger, you felt genuinely not okay in women's clothing. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then having that experimentation with the drag king thing clarified that for you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe as you got older, you just became more comfortable as a person, you know, mm-hmm. you're in this by that point that you were getting pregnant, you're in this long-standing marriage with a woman you've been stable with. Mm-hmm. So maybe you also just felt more confident in who you were. Mm-hmm. I think I did need that like swagger, like that, that the butch identity seemed to have given you initially. Does, do you think that's part of it? I think that's exactly what happened. And I think I just, I think it's, it had served its purpose for me at that point. Like you were saying, some people sort of have this, lifelong experience of experiencing themselves as masculine. And I think I'm more in the middle, I guess I have, I think I, I, I'm in the middle and also I'm just, I, I fluctuate, I guess I I'm really, I'm very flexible. I was like that as a kid, right? My sister was 
very persistent about her cross gender identity and I could sort of like take it on or put it off. Mm -hmm. So I have, I think that having this butch persona, it served me so well and it did so much for me, but at a certain point I didn't need it anymore. Not like it was wrong or bad, but like I just, it it wasn't as important to me. And was that certain point around about when you were pregnant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, once I got pregnant, you know, there got, there became a certain point when I just couldn't wear my clothes anymore. <laughs> this happens. And I just, like bought maternity clothes. And then when my daughter was born, I decided to just keep wearing the maternity clothes and it's, or the, you know, and then I bought women's clothes and now I've just been like a, a middle of the road gender woman, I guess, since then. Yeah. What was it like having your daughter? How, how did that impact you? It's been the best choice I've ever made. It's the best thing I've ever done. I absolutely love being a mom. And I was not, I did not babysit. I was not one of those girls who was like, knew I wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, I was academic and I was into my nerdy interests and I still am. But I was surprised at how easy it felt to be a mom. And, yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's shocking how much I love her. It's shocking how much you love your kids, you know. it's uh, It blows my mind every day. And did you feel, because I certainly did when I was pregnant and having a baby... I never felt so womanly and powerful mm-hmm. in being yeah. a woman. Like. Well, I've thought of this before. I think I think being an early puberty girl, it's like it kind of it kind of all sucks, right? Yeah. At least for me, I was into sports and I played on a co-ed basketball team and there was this year where suddenly I was no longer a starter and all the boys were way better at basketball than me. And I was like this is shit this sucks and you know I wasn't very you know like I was I didn't really want boys to like me so like getting boobs wasn't exciting and getting a period sucks like I think it was hard for me to like see what was good about being a girl when I was a teenager but then as a late 20s woman who's like pregnant and like I'm gestating this beautiful baby in my belly and yeah. she's moving and then, I, you know, giving birth. Like, I just think it was the most amazing experience. And I felt so pretty. I felt so, I felt beautiful. It was such a cool yeah. experience. And I, I just had never, it had never been on my radar that that would be something that I would experience, you know? I felt beautiful as well when I was pregnant, just beautiful, yeah. like yeah. And powerful. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, this sounds ridiculous, but I really felt it and I still do. I can see why men go to war. We're we're having babies. We're doing something so big and powerful. Right. I know that sounds mad, but I, I kind of got it. Like we were busy making babies. Like I never respected women more than when I went through that experience. Not because women who don't choose to have babies aren't aren't as impressive as well. But I think when I, maybe I was like a tiny misogynist or something, but when I was growing up, I remember just feeling like it's too bad that there's nothing 
I was like, I remember thinking it was objectively true that men were better than women because they're physically stronger. And I was like, this is unavoidable. Like, yeah. I, I think we're, we're good too, but they're obviously better. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> was I how I felt. And then, yeah. whoa. Right. And then I, yeah. And then when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is really cool. And I think it just gave me an appreciation for the fact that I was a woman and, and, um, it, it just made me feel really confident in myself in a new way. There's one thing that's coming to me, though, that you got a euphoria. You got an extraordinary shot of fabulous confidence when you went butch as such. And then it feels like you kind of just slid into being feminine out of, yeah, this doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, I still feel like maybe... Like, if I had to pick which one felt more natural or easy, it would probably be butch. Like, I think I feel a little more natural as, like, a butch woman than I do now. But the difference isn't so stark that it's a big a big deal. Because I would see you as very feminine looking. Oh, thank you. By the way. <laughs> or, yeah. I want to go back to something because this is really when you first contacted me, Lauren. It was because you were alarmed as you mentioned about young people being medicalized so quickly Mm -hmm. and your story is unique. And I wonder if it's not that unique, if people like you Mm -hmm. kept a lot of the, the exploration to a smaller sphere. Like for example, you said you never announced on social media when you were questioning your gender or you never made big proclamations about I'm going to have top surgery on so-and-so day Mm -hmm. and you as a kid probably never ever ever would have imagined that you would derive such a life-changing joy from having a child Mm -hmm. and today 11 year olds are being asked to figure out if they want to preserve their fertility i know so what do we what do we do here because this is like a fast moving train and it seems to defy logic Mm -hmm. but i've also heard you know that some clinicians say well masculine girls aren't going to want babies anyway so that's not true to preserve their fertility so can you talk about (sighs) this yeah sorry i'm getting fired up here do So there are so many layers to this issue, but the biggest thing it comes down to for me is understanding child and adolescent development and just what decisions children and adolescents like aren't in a position to be able to make. And also respecting, respecting the complexity of what one person's experience can be. So foreclosing on things like fertility for an 11 or 12 or 13 year old, I think it's so totally inappropriate. Even if a kid ends up identifying as trans as an adult, I know trans people who have born children. I know trans men who have had children like, and that's because they were not put on puberty blockers as children. That wasn't done in my generation. And so I think it's the idea. I feel like if the medical industry, if the medical system were doing its job properly, 
and that it wasn't so easy for a 15 year old to announce their non-binary and then have top surgery nine months later, which is something that I saw happen in my own community. If that, if that wasn't how this were going, if young children weren't routinely put on puberty blockers, the exploration of identity could be so much more fluid and so much lower stakes because I don't think there's any, I've, I've told you that I've at times in my life had sort of a, a cross sex identity. I don't think there's anything unhealthy with conceptualizing yourself in sort of a cross gender way. I don't think there's anything unhealthy or wrong with trans identity. And I know, I know a lot of trans adults who are like good citizens, normal, healthy people, good parents, like that's not the issue. The issue is that this should have never come down to children. And I do think that there is a lot of it comes, a lot of this is because I think some of it's political, you know, I think children are very um, sympathetic. And so they're very good sort of political mascots. And so I think the gay movement did this too. I don't think our hands are clean either. I think the gay movement did a lot of politicking around gay teens. And I think the same thing's happening around trans identified teens. And I think it's just so important for all of us. That's why I'm on this show. I just feel so passionately about putting the well-being, the long-term well-being of kids and teenagers first. And I just think that has to include being so cautious with these medical changes. So, so cautious. In your story, you were able to explore this internal cross-sex sense of who you were without any kind of medical intervention. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I mean, your first, your first taste of cross-sex identification was in a drag show, which is this fun, mm-hmm. playful performance mm-hmm. that is acting and it's all about drama. And I've heard you, I mean, we've talked before about how in the past, people who do play with these kind of gender roles can do so with a sense of fun and joy and playfulness mm-hmm. that seems to be very much absent in today's you know, LGBT youth conversations. I totally agree. That was a shift I noticed five-ish years ago, somewhere between five and 10 years ago, that this idea of gender exploration that when I was in college was very much understood and talked about as like a personal journey related to identity, but also uh, very exploratory and fun. There was a, a, a positive even being trans at that point, I feel like was not talked about so much in terms of like, I have this serious dysphoria. It was more about um, a developing personal identity. But somewhere along the way, that conversation shifted and it became much more medicalized, especially for younger people. And it became very serious um, instead of being a more open and fluid process. And I thought that I I found it strange. I was sort of blindsided by it when it happened because suddenly the people around me were talking about things in a way that I had, it just sounded off to my ear. And it sounds like you actually are gender expansive. You are gender creative. I, yeah, I I guess so. I'm just, I think some of us are just. Do do anything for you as a label or 
I guess that just feels more purposeful than I have experienced myself. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just, I feel like some of us just are in the middle and some of mm-hmm. us just mm-hmm. have these different aspects of ourselves that I don't know, need to be expressed, I guess. And I kind of hear an underlying, almost a plea for can, can we, can we be more playful and joyful about our Amen. gender? Amen. I think if a, there, there have always been, I, I know, cause I grew up with a sister who was dysphoric in kind of this classic way that we're talking about right now, where it was very, for her, this was very, it was a very serious thing and there was some distress involved. So I know firsthand that that's a reality, but I think a lot of the kids and teenagers that I know who have trans or non-binary identities these days, like this could be much more fluid for them than it is. It's, I think they hear it being framed in this like intense way, like if we don't get you the things you need right now, you might become suicidal, that kind of language. I think a lot of these kids hear this stuff and they pick up on it, but they're not, they're not like my sister, you know, they're not some, they're not a kid who, for whom it would have felt that way naturally. Like this could have been more exploratory and calmer and um, more fun for them. And this is why I think it's really the responsibility of the professionals who Uh are interested in working with these interesting kind of gender uh, experiences to set the tone of confidence that like their patients are going to be okay. Uh And this may evolve and that's fine. Uh We don't have to uh, rush you into some kind of panic mode because you're immediately at risk. And What's interesting is all of the gender therapists revolve their entire outlook on the idea of suicidality. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned about the power of suggestion and how much that can impact a young person's framing of their own internal experience. It's kind of like, you know, we have all this talk around destigmatization these days. But ironically, the second you start questioning your gender, you're told you're going to kill yourself. What's more stigmatizing than that? Right. So I just, I really appreciate what you're saying here, Lauren. Thank you. And I think I, I want this conversation to be framed as like you guys do. I think this show is a really good example of being centered on the kids and the, the youth that we're talking about, because I, as I say, I feel like no one ever talks about the fact that not all trans people make the same choices with their bodies. I know trans people who've had some surgeries and they haven't had others and some do or don't use hormones. So we, we, we sometimes talk about not every kid who identifies as trans might is going to end up being trans, which is true. But even the trans kids deserve to be able to make those choices about their bodies later. And I don't know why more people aren't saying that. I, it, it seems obvious to me. It seems obvious to me. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if, if our listeners are interested to learn more about your ideas on this topic, is there anywhere they can go to find you? Yeah, I actually started a blog recently, a very 2005 of me. Um, <laughs> it's the anxious skeptic at wordpress.com. And there should be a contact page if anybody wants to reach out to me and share any of their thoughts. I'm open to that. Okay, great. So people who listen in and uh, would like to get in touch and just maybe share their 
appreciation for you coming on or any thoughts can get in touch with you there. That's so great to hear. Yeah. Yep. I'm uh, happy to hear from anybody who feels similarly about this topic. All right. Thanks. It was really lovely hearing your story. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It was wonderful. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by RIME, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RIME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit RethinkIME.org to learn more. If you found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 